The following message is from LifeSource Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about LifeSource is available at lifesource.org.au. Bibles, would you open up to Mark, the book of Mark, chapter, chapter one. I want to continue the series that I started last week on God's culture. I love culture. I'm, I love being exposed to different cultures. I love the fact that in our church, we have over 70 different cultures. I love that. I love just exploring the different cultures and um, and just the way that it's like. See, being a child of a migrant, I was exposed to the world of three cultures. So when I was growing up, I was actually exposed to three different cultures that were very unique. So there was my Italian culture, and we're talking about um, my parents were migrants, and and so they were very much involved in the Italian community of Newcastle. And so all the neighbours spoke Italian. They'd go shopping and it was all Italian, all the friends that came around. So even though I was born in Australia, I couldn't speak English. And so I could only speak Italian. Born in Australia, I only speak Italian because that's all that was spoken. So I learned to speak English when went to Sunday school and there I was exposed to English and I learned to speak English when I went to Sunday school because there was no television in those days. We're talking, I was born in 1959, early 60s. We didn't have television. And uh, so my exposure, so I'm brought up in the Italian community. Then I start going to school and I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get exposed to Australian culture, which let me tell you, was really, really different to Italian culture. And, and I mean, even the food was so different. I'm, you know, just you've got to understand that kids want to fit in. And so all the other Australian kids, they would have jam sandwiches. Okay, not me. Italian culture, I've got salami, provolone, you know, bread this thick. We're not talking about sliced bread. We're talking about the really good, the stuff that everybody wants now, but back then in the 60s, it was, pew, miss, somebody spewed. Oh, it's John Giuliano's lunch. <laughs> you know, so so that, was, that was the second culture I was exposed to. And then the third culture was the Pentecostal culture, being brought up in a Pentecostal church. So I had my Pentecostal culture, which was quite unique. And so I'm trying to navigate as a little kid, three different cultures. And it was quite, quite interesting to do the merry dance. And so, so consequently, what I've learned to do over the years is celebrate and love the different cultures. It was interesting back in 1995 when I actually took my whole family to live in the Philippines for three months. And so Christelle was exposed to Filipino culture and for three months, and it was culture shock. It was culture shock, and, and, uh, and they actually went to a school where there were the international kids, and so one, one of the kids that was their friend was a Korean kid, and every time he'd walk past a, a dog, he'd lick his lips, go, mmm, dog, yum, <laughs> and it was like, my kids would freak out, and they'd say, no, don't look at him like that, and it's just culture. How many of you know that culture is unique? Have you found it, Dion, getting exposed to the Chinese culture? 
Fantastic. Good. Right answer. Everybody say, right answer, Dion. <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, so Anne, when she got uh, married to me, she came into Italian culture and she had culture shock. And, uh, and so she wanted to adapt very fast. And so she kind of felt that part of adapting to Italian culture is to eat everything they put in front of you. Because when she was brought up as a kid, you ate everything on your plate. Well, what you didn't realize is that as soon as you eat everything on your plate, Italian culture says, put more on. (laughs) And so she'd eat it. And so as soon as the plate was empty, they'd put more on. Poor Anne got in such a way after the first couple of weeks of marriage that that she got really sick, and I mean really really sick. And uh, and so I said, sweetheart, why are you eating so much? I was starting to get worried. I thought, oh my goodness, I don't where this is going to lead is not a good place, you know. <laughs> so uh, so I said to her, listen. She says, well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to adapt. I'm trying to eat it. I said, listen, the way that we work is if your plate is empty, we think that we haven't fed you enough. So we'll put more food on your plate. How many of you can identify with that? Come on, the Chinese are exactly, you can identify with that. So just leave something, just anything, just leave it on the plate. She says, but I, my culture says that it's rude to leave food on the plate. And I said, my culture says it's rude for us to leave your plate empty. So let's find the medium here. Hello. So culture is so interesting. It's so, it's so interesting. It's so fascinating. But you know, heaven's got a culture. And part of what Jesus tried to do when he came here was try to teach us heaven's culture. And the bulk of the teaching of Jesus was to try to teach us the culture of heaven. And it's so foreign to earthly culture because we're used to a different type of culture and Jesus came to introduce heaven's culture. And when you read in the Bible and you say, well, what was Jesus talking about heaven's culture? Here it is. Are you ready for this? Every time Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like this, he was saying, heaven's culture is like this. This is the way we do things in heaven. And so what Jesus tried to do was this, because that's all culture is, the way we do things around here. Culture, culture is very normal for those in that culture. For those out of that culture, it's very abnormal. But for those of you in it, it's very normal. And so here's Jesus coming from heaven, and he says, look, the way we do things in heaven is what I want to teach you here on earth, for you to absorb that. And so when he brings in this verse in Mark 1.15. Let's read it together. The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Heaven's culture has come. The way, the way things are done in heaven has come. It's time to quit doing the way you've been doing it and start doing it according to God's culture is basically what Jesus was saying about the kingdom of God is at hand. Then he goes on and he says, okay, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent means to turn away from the way you're doing it, to do it God's way. Repent, turning away, doing a 180. It's a Greek word, metanomia, means to turn away, doing a 180. Stop doing it the way you're doing it and start doing it God's way. Stop saying my way and start saying God's way. Believe in the gospel. 
This was the message of Jesus. The book of Mark, it starts with this message. It's the first, if you look in the book of Mark, you'll find that if you've got words of Jesus in red, you'll find these are the first words of Jesus in red. The first words that Jesus spoke in the book of Mark is this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So let me try to answer a few questions that all of you are asking. The first question that you're all asking is, what's heaven like? You're asking that question, aren't you? Well, let me tell you what heaven's like. Because too often, we're reading books and hearing stories of the things in heaven. So what the Bible is very clear about is that in heaven, there's jewels everywhere. Gates are made of jewels. The streets are made of gold. There's mansions. You know, heaven's going to be absolutely awesome in its beauty. But how many of you know that it doesn't matter how beautiful something is, you get used to it. It's just, it's an amazing thing. How many of you remember the first time you got into your new house? Do you remember that? You know, whether it be a second-hand house or a brand new house, it was like, oh, I've got a home. How awesome is that? But after a while, you get used to it. Have, has, have any of you ever been blessed with a new car? I, oh, I'm telling you, I can still remember. The first car that I really got that I really liked was an Alfa Romeo. I was 21 years of age, and I bought an Alfa Romeo Giulietta. It was burgundy in color it had cream upholstery and i and i'd literally sit in the car in the garage turn on the interior lights and just go ah. <laughs> ah. it had a really throaty exhaust it had twin delorto carburetors i even grew a mustache to make it make feel italian in it it was just <laughs> i mean if you can picture it it was Alfa Romeo, Italian. That was just awesome. But you know what? You get used to it after a while. You get used to it after a while. With anything, you get used to it. It's just, it's an amazing thing how you get used to stuff. And you know what? Because we don't have streets made of gold and jewels everywhere, we're looking forward to going to heaven, but, but you'll get used to that. But let me tell you what you will always marvel at in heaven. Here it is. Let me tell you. It will be the atmosphere of heaven. It will be the atmosphere that's created by the culture of heaven. Because that culture is God's culture. And that culture is the culture of love. It's the culture of joy. It's the culture of peace. Do you know that in heaven, there'll never be an argument with your neighbors? How awesome is that? There'll be never an argument with your brother or your sister. How awesome is that? There'll never be someone backstabbing you or putting a knife in your heart. None of that sort of stuff is happening in heaven. Why? Because that is countercultural. What will be the culture of heaven is love, joy, peace, kindness. Everybody in heaven is going to be kind. And you know what? If you don't love that culture... You won't be allowed into heaven. It's as simple as that. It's just basically, it's as simple as that. There will be no sinners allowed in heaven. There won't be any people that are hateful allowed in heaven. There won't be any people who are backstabbers allowed in heaven. No liars allowed in heaven. Those people that are countercultural can't go there. It's only those that have God's culture. And so what Jesus tried to do is to say, 
I want to train you for heaven now so that you can now start to adapt God's culture. And so all of his teaching on the kingdom of God is how to live the life of heaven here on earth. And so what you notice is this, the 38 parables that Jesus preached on were all parables giving some insight into God's culture. Give some insight into the way God does things. Some insight into explaining to us how to be kingdom people. Okay, the next question is this. Okay, John, you've told me what heaven's going to be like. Tell me, how do I enter the kingdom of God? Okay, I'm glad you asked that question. Well, before we get to that question, let's get to what's the kingdom of God like? What is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is any place where God is king. So if God is made to be king, in other words, king, especially in first century Christianity, was understood as the highest level. If you were king, there's nobody above you. And so if you belong to a kingdom, it had a king in charge. Nobody has more power than the king. So the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, incidentally, It's the same thing, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Matthew used the phrase kingdom of heaven because he was writing to the Jews and to the Jews to use the word Elohim, to use the word God was considered too sacred, too holy. So Matthew used heaven in place of God many times. So he used the kingdom of heaven rather than kingdom of God. Anyway, that's for those of you that are theologically minded in that respect. So, so anywhere where God is king is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Not only that, but anywhere where the will of God is done is the kingdom of heaven. And so if you get to a place where you're doing the will of God, in other words, God is king, So because he's king, he rules and reigns. Because he rules and reigns, it's, okay, God, what do you want me to do? When you come to that place where you say, God, what do you want me to do? You've entered the kingdom of God. You've entered the kingdom of heaven. That's what kingdom people do. They don't say, what do I want to do? They say, what does God want me to do? Now, I want you to really focus in on this because too many people miss this. Because they don't understand the character of God. God will never ask you to do something that will damage you. God will only ask you to do things that will ultimately bring blessing into your life. And so to do the will of God will ultimately result in the greatest blessing of your life. To do the will of God will maximize your living, will maximize your life, will cause you to live your very, very best life. If you go through life doing your own thing, this is the deceitfulness that doing your own thing you think will maximize your life. But because you don't have the information that God has, because you don't have the insight that God has, because you don't have the knowledge that God has, you actually don't maximize your life, you minimize it. And so this is where selfishness gets into the way, where sometimes you've got to die to self and say, I've got to die to myself and just trust that God knows best. We used to have these conversations with our kids. How many of you know that, uh, that one of the deals that you have as parents is trying to impart wisdom into your children? How many of you know that's a great thing to do? 
But how many of you ever had a strong-willed child? How many of you still got a strong-willed child? Okay, strong-willed children think they know everything. They just think they know best. They, you know, they've sort of got. How many of you know? A little bit of knowledge is a very dangerous thing. Very dangerous indeed. And so, and so we'd have these conversations. Hey, hey, kids. Let me tell you, there are over seven billion people on this planet. But the two people on this planet that desire your best above everybody else, above all of your friends, above anybody that you know, the two people on this planet that desire your best is your mum and dad. Isn't that a great conversation to have with your kids? How many of you know that's true? And so, and so what we say to them is this, we're coming from a perspective where we want you to have the best life, but we will say things to you that you do not understand. We will say things to you that you may not like. And that's where you've got to trust us that we come from only one perspective. And that is for you to maximize your life. Now, let me tell you what happens to teenagers. They've got friends. And some of their friends are stupid in the head. That's probably the best and simplest way to describe it. Stupid in the head. But sometimes people who are stupid in the head have too much influence. And so they'll come along and these stupid in the head friends will actually say things to you that are different to what your mum and dad are saying. And your first reaction is, oh, no, I can't do that. And they'll say, well, your mum and dad are stupid. Your mum and dad have told you things that actually stop you from having the best fun because this little pill here will just be the best thing. But, but my mum and dad said not to take any drugs. Well, they don't know what they're talking about. Listen to me. And that's where you have to trust your mum and dad who are for you, not against you. Because it's in that position when we're not there to control you, where you've just got to trust that our advice is an advice that comes out of love. See, because this is exactly the way that God operates. This is just exactly the way that God operates. Because the enemy, who is stupid in the head, he'll come along and try to tempt you into a different way of thinking. And he will use half-truths to make you believe that doing it against God's will will be better for you. And this is where you've just got to trust God. You've just got to go to the place to say, my father in heaven does not want to destroy me, does not want to suppress me, but wants me to live a full life because he promised that he has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. I believe that the best life is to obey God. You know, let me tell you something. I believe the best life, if you're a husband, is to love your wife and be faithful to your wife. What a great thing that is. What a great thing that is to love and be faithful to your wife. What a great thing for every wife to love and be faithful to a husband. What a great thing that is. Can I tell you that any temptation to do anything else will not maximize your life, but destroy your life? Can I say that? 
What a great thing it is to be honest. What a great thing it is to tell the truth. What a great thing it is to go to sleep at night and not be worried that you're going to have a knock at the door saying, we found out you didn't pay your taxes and we're taking you to jail. What a great thing it is just to live in peace because you're a law-abiding person that does it God's way. I'll tell you, there's no greater way to live life. And that's what kingdom people do. They just do the will of God. They obey God because they believe that God's will is the best way. And, uh, you know, just let let me go on to, you know, uh, four things that God wants you to understand. My my, my time is gone, but can I just go into four things that God wants you to understand? First thing that God wants you to understand is this, is that you're children of God. Not just people of God, but children of God. Can, Can I just say that for so many people, they don't get it. They don't get that when you get born again, when you come into the kingdom of God, you don't come in as just a people, you come in as children. So yes, sometimes the Bible calls us people, but we are people. But it takes us to another level, beyond people to children, children of God. John chapter 1 verse 12, to as many as received him, to them he gave the authority to become children of God. Now this is the way that it works. We're all children, but because of sin, we actually got separated from the Father. We got separated because of sin, and so there's this, 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 this huge barrier between the father and his children because of sin. And so once sin is in your life, you don't belong to the kingdom of God. You actually belong to the kingdom of darkness. And this is what breaks the heart of God, that his children, because of sin, are in the domain of the evil one. And it was God's love that saw across the barrier of sin into the domain of darkness and sees his kids there, sees his children there and says, I love them so much, I've got to deliver them. And, and, and this is God's love so big that he was willing to send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to go save his children in the domain of darkness. And so here's what the word of God says. That when you understand that Jesus paid that penalty, that Jesus bridged that gap, that Jesus was the way, the truth and the life and is the way, the truth and the life and the only bridge and you repent of being in darkness and accept Jesus, then you come out of the darkness into the light and at that point you basically become a child of God united with God. So you've got to understand that, that yet, theoretically, we're all children, but if you've got sin in your life, you're separated from God eternally. And this is where God's love reaches out to save his people and pull them out of darkness into light. And when you come into his kingdom, you are not just the people of God, but the children of God. Now, I want you to think about this for a little while because... Being a child of God is, is just an incredible thing. And Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8, where he uses this phrase, not only are we children of God, but we're also joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. I've got three children. There's Christelle, there's Daniel, there's Stephen. Three children. 
Stephen's married to Bianca, Christelle's married to Ben, and, um, and so they come into the family as well. But Anne and I have a will. And in that will, the day when we disappear, the inheritance gets subdivided into three. Three equal parts. Christelle, Daniel, and Stephen, and their spouses, equal parts. This is what they're called. They're called joint heirs. Christelle, Daniel, and Stephen are joint heirs of the inheritance. I need for you to understand that Paul says we are joint heirs with Jesus. We're part of God's family to an extent where we become joint heirs with Christ. So you can understand that when we were saved out of darkness, we're not saved as lowly beggars, just constantly, oh, miserable worm that I am. We're saved now as children of God. We are saved into the royal family. We are princes and princesses because we are children of the king. You've got to get this. Get it in your spirit. Get it in your spirit. Now, the second point that I want to make is this. Is that when you get saved, God actually places his spirit within you. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming inside of you is to train you for royalty. So this is God's spirit coming in you to transform you so that your culture becomes the culture of God. Your whole mindset becomes the mindset of God, that you might have the mind of Christ, that you might be thinking and operating at a different level. How many of you have been enjoying seeing the pictures of Princess Charlotte? How many of you know who Princess Charlotte is? There you go, the culture. I mean, it just speaks. If, if Anne hears anything on the news, Princess Charlotte, she'll come, she'll knock furniture over to get to see this little baby. Uh, just, ah, look how beautiful, how cute. This is what happens with the royal family. From an early age, they get given tutors. And the tutors teach them how to live life as a royal. And so consequently, when Prince Philip uh, utters a few sort of words that come from his Navy sailing days, it's sort of, it's, it's broadcast across the world. Anybody else saying a few words like that, nobody would take a second note. But because he's a prince, behavior is expected of royalty that's very different. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so this is what God does. He gives us a tutor, the Holy Spirit, who comes inside of us. And the Holy Spirit begins to transform us and produce fruit in our lives. And the fruit of the Spirit is the culture of heaven. And so we become royalty and we operate on a different level. So for us, when the Holy Spirit inside of us is training us, he's training us to live as royalty. He's training us to live with dignity. He's training us to live at a different level to the world. And what saddens me is that sometimes the only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is their theology rather than their behavior. Because when the Holy Spirit is inside of you, your behavior changes. All of a sudden, He causes you to be loving. He causes you to be joyful. He causes you to be peaceful. He causes you to be kind. 
He causes you to be gracious. He causes you to be transformed into a God person to reflect the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because you know that you belong to the royal family. And because you belong to the royal family, something more is expected of you than is expected of anybody else. Come on, who wants to live as royalty? I want to live as royalty. I want my life to reflect the fact that I'm a son of the King, not a son of this world. Are you getting this? Because this is what Jesus was trying to teach. And everything that he taught in the Sermon of the Mount, the parables, was how to live like a king's kid, how to live as a royal person, how to live with dignity, how to live with God's culture. Oh, let me. The other, the other couple of things that I wanted to share with you was, was in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, the Bible talks about being an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador. I love that phrase. Matter of fact, when, when I was a teenager, we used to have a, a, a movement called CAs. Is there anybody here that can still remember what CAs were? Tony McLennan. CAs. What does CA stand for? Christ's ambassadors. And it's taken from this scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.20, that we are Christ's ambassadors. And an ambassador is not just some, surely someone who speaks the gospel, but also someone who represents his majesty. How awesome is that, that I'm an ambassador from heaven. As a child of God, I'm an ambassador. How are you doing with your ambassadorial responsibilities? Are you, are you representing well? Are you really representing the culture of heaven or are you representing your own culture? Because let me tell you something, Anne and I at the moment are doing a house extension and, um, and, and we've got all sorts of workmen coming into our life. And can I tell you that every single one of them are observing, observing us and I want them to observe an ambassador of heaven, not some angry, cranky customer because they have a lot of angry, cranky customers and they tell us, See, there's something different about you. Matter of fact, one of the guys that came and did work for us wants to take us out for dinner. He just wants to get us, he just says, I need to get to know you guys more. And so last Sunday night, we went out to pizza together because he just wants to get to know what is it about you guys that's different. And I think what an opportunity. Matter of fact, the guy that did our slab invited me to go to Wollongong to have dinner with the family. You come and we'll treat you like a king. It's just, they see something that's different. And you know what? I just, there's something precious about that being an ambassador that represents the king. Come on, that's your challenge. Are you, are you up for it? Are you up for it? And the last thing I want to say is this there's only one rule in the kingdom. There's only one rule. And the one rule is God first. That's, there's only one rule. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's it. There's only one rule. Not. 10, not 20, not 30, not 40. Just what does God want? That's, that's the rule. What does God want? Whatever God wants, I do. I seek first the kingdom. I'm, I'm a kingdom person. I seek first the kingdom. The things of this world is going to grow strangely dim. See, the thing is this, that too often we are so focused on trying to grab things of this world. And this is what God promises is if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, these things will be added to you. And Anne and I can... We, we can testify to the fact that we are blessed beyond measure with things. My goodness. Things. We're blessed. We've got more things than we... 
Our fridge is always full. Our pantry is always full. People come and they can eat. It's always, there's always anchovies somewhere in the house. It's a good thing. Always. Ah, so if you like anchovies, come to our place. Because Anne doesn't eat them, so there's plenty for you. Olives, there's always olives in our place. My mother-in-law can't stand olives. There's plenty for you. You know, this, our house is full. But I want your house to be full. I want you to be blessed. I want these things to be added to you. And all that Anne and I decided when we got married was we got to seek first God's kingdom. 34 years ago, 34 and a half years ago, it was like, God, we're just going to put you first. We don't fully understand all the stuff, but we're just going to put you first. Just put you first. And 34 and a half years later, we say, wow, look at all the things God's added to us. Wow. We didn't have them in our heart, but God put them in our pockets because we only had Jesus in our heart. Come on, I want you to be blessed. I seriously want you to be blessed. And maybe what I need for you to do this morning is just to sort of stop and analyze. Stop and just close your eyes for a moment. And just, I want you to ask this question. Have I really put God first? Or have I put other things first? Is there anything in my life that is above God? Is God asking me to do something and I'm afraid to do it because I don't trust that it's the best thing to do? Because you're not trusting God and you need to come to trust Him because that's what the kingdom of God is. Because I want to pray for blessing to come into your house. I want to pray for blessing to come into your life. And all you need to do is just to put God first. Just to put God first. So if you want to put God first, I just want you to open up the palms of your hands right now. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to say this, Father God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you sent your son to pull me out of the kingdom of darkness and plant me into your kingdom. And today, I want to be a child of the King. I want to reflect you. I want to be an ambassador that reflects the culture of heaven. Help me, Lord, to put you first. Today, I make a decision to put you first. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Lord, I just pray for those that prayed that prayer, that blessing will come to them. I just know that all these things will be added. All these blessings will be added. Lord, I just know that whoever seeks you and your kingdom first and your righteousness, these things will be added. And so, Lord, I pray for a newfound blessing. I pray the windows of heaven will be opened. I pray, Lord, that people, as they walk in obedience to you and not sacrifice obedience for convenience, but constantly look for obedience, Lord, that blessing will come to their home, to their family, to their marriage, to business, Lord wherever they are, that blessing will come to them as they put you first in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.